Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for a special remote Motherhood Feels episode. So pardon the sound quality. In this episode, you'll hear a fascinating Motherhood Feels overview with seasoned mom, Leanie Forbush. Leanie, who is Memphis born and raised, is, get this, one of 10 siblings, and is a mom to her own large brood, which includes eight-year-old triplet boys and a five-year-old daughter. Leanie is a retired makeup artist and salon owner, and I was quite fortunate to be on the receiving end of her hair and makeup skills when we attended college together 20 years ago. While she hasn't traded in her aesthetic skills, it sounds like she can be found on the pickleball court more often these days or spending time with family and friends. Listen in as we talk through her motherhood feels experience, one that is filled with hard and traumatic experiences, but also lots of family support and even a FedEx interception of her core blood banking, a Smith family perk. Check her out next. Hi, Lainey. Hey, Jill. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Kathleen Forbush, Leany to my close friends and family. I live in Memphis, Tennessee with my husband and four children, eight-year-old triplet boys and a five-and-a-half-year-old girl and a daughter that is of 10 children. And obviously, you and I know each other from our UVA days. Right. So we went to UVA together and you are one of 10 siblings and you are now the mom of your own large family with four children. When you say triplets, I'm automatically kind of freaking out. Um, (laughs) And my guess is that when you say that to other people, people are maybe shocked. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you get all kinds of things. People say, you know, sometimes people are a little invasive with their questioning about if they were natural or fertility. Um, A lot of people are shocked. A wide range of reactions. Okay. So it's not so much now as they're older because they, two are identical, one's fraternal, but the fraternal one is a lot different in size and doesn't look, you know, obviously. So they, a lot of times now they think it's twins plus one, like an older brother. Okay. Well, I um, can imagine that having four children would be a lot and then adding triplets in the four (laughs) is a lot. So let me ask you a few questions about your experience as a mom to this whole crew. What was your journey in becoming a mom to these four kids? Okay. um, So I got married when I was 33. So um, obviously you kind of put into your head that 35 is like, you've got to have kids by the time you're 35. So I think I was a little naive to that. Um, and I thought we needed to start trying right away. Um, after, you know, my mom has had eight children. My sister's had eight children. So after about six months, I thought I kind of had a feeling something's not right. Why am I not getting pregnant? Um, my doctor told me to wait another six months, but I'm kind of like one of those people who doesn't take no for an answer sometimes. So (laughs) I made my husband go to his doctor. Long story short, ended up, we both had, um, fertility issues. Mm -hmm. So we went down the road of, they told us that we needed to do IVF. Mm -hmm. So we did one IVF that failed and uh, anybody who's been through IVF can tell you it's hard and it's, you know, you get your hopes up and then we didn't even have any good embryos. So it was not a pleasant experience. And obviously I was very upset. Mm -hmm. We took some time off and I kind of researched, you know, we started looking into adoption, but I, you know, we Cause I always growing up said I wanted to adopt. So I hadn't, you know, I started looking at adoption, but my husband and I really wanted to try one more time. So consulted a few other doctors, ended up going to a place out in Colorado that at the time had the best statistics on like IVF success rates. Okay. We went out there, we got, did con- consults. They took us on as a patient. So we put in two embryos, three day fresh transfers, probably if in the IVF world considered the least, you know, Optimal. Likely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I did not really have my hopes up a ton, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously you're hopeful. And because we cycled out in Colorado, I had to go to a place in Nashville to get like the blood work and things like that. We only spent two weeks in Colorado. 
So I actually was home in Memphis visiting family and I did the blood work at an office here. So I got the call at like four o'clock and, you know, they do the testing, I think two weeks after the transfer. So I would have been like four weeks pregnant. And the nurse called me and she was like, you're pregnant. And she was like, you're really pregnant. And I was like, what does that mean? And she said, your HCG is really high. And it was like 472 or something like that, which is pretty. And then they do the 48 hours and it had almost tripled. Mm. So that was a good sign. And so I started to kind of go down the path. What if this is twins? Then I started getting really, really sick really early. Mm. So everybody started saying, oh, it's twins. It's got to be twins. So I kind of was wrapping my head around that. But I was also getting on the internet and reading stuff that I do not recommend. Mm -hmm. So I kind of would go back and forth between, oh, it's twins to, oh, you know, we're going to go in there and it's not, you know, it's not going to be viable. And so I remember very clearly we walked into the Nashville Fertility Clinic and for the ultrasound at like six weeks and two days, I think. And I told my husband, I was like, don't get your hopes up. Like this could just, you know, there may, it may not be viable, you know, and he was like, get off the internet, stop. And the nurse is like, okay, don't want you to get nervous. I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. I'll never forget it. She wasn't quiet for like two seconds. And she's like, well, you got three. And I was like, three heartbeats? And my husband just started laughing hysterically. And I was like, what? You know, we were shocked and um, excited, you know. So I think, and naive to everything, you know. So I'm only six weeks, two days. So here you are at six weeks and two days. You've already gone through the process of fertility treatment and kind of becoming aware that that would be required to become parents and finding what sounds like a great place that had good statistics. And then you get the news that you are going to have triplets. What happens next? The fertility doctor calls and he wasn't super excited because obviously that makes you high risk and it's not necessarily, a you know, the ideal pregnancy that they want to provide you with at a fertility clinic. So um, he mentioned about reduction, which I just said, I'm not interested in that. And he said, okay, well, we'll see in two weeks if, you know, they're all still there because again, I was naive to the fact that I guess in multiple, sometimes one or one of them doesn't make it, you know, if you get an ultrasound that early Mm -hmm. or anytime really. So obviously eight weeks, there's still three heartbeats. That's really exciting. So you have your three heartbeats and you're likely in a place now where you're also realizing that this is a pregnancy that will likely come with some risks. Tell us a little bit about that. When you have two twins in one sack, they can either be MOMO, which is when there's no uh, membrane, which is the really dangerous kind where the tank cords can get entangled, or they can be mo-die, which is what I had, and there's a membrane separating them. That is still risky because there's a risk for something called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. So for us, we went at 12 weeks, everything's looking good. The standard of care for mo-die twins is every two-week ultrasounds, even if it's just twins, I believe, and not even not triplets, which further complicated things. So for us, we went in at 12 weeks. And I asked to come every week instead of every other week, because I was just nervous for pregnancy, triplets, fertility. This, and my doctor was like, that's fine. Right. So 21 weeks. All right. Let me stop you for a second. Yes. You've got, I've got a, I've got a couple of questions I've got to ask. Okay. <laughs> First of all, it sounds like on this ride, not only were you pregnant, but you were, sounds like becoming a medical doctor. You had to gain a lot. Well, of- this is a lot of this is like now knowledge I have eight years down the road, but some of it was as I was going along in the pregnancy, you know, yeah. start learning about stuff. So some of what I'm telling you now is knowledge I gained through the pregnancy or even postpartum. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let me ask you, how were you physically feeling? Super sick from like four weeks until probably around 16 weeks. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people said, you know, once you get the second trimester, it goes away. And I remember getting in the second trimester being like, this isn't, am I going to be one of those people that's sick the whole pregnancy? It's, this is horrible. And then obviously I have three babies too. So, you know, by 21 weeks, I was measuring almost 40. Oh my gosh. You know, you grow rapidly. <laughs> it was um, not ideal you know, but I also didn't have any other children. So, you know, and I was a, I owned a business, but I had other people that worked for me. So I was able luckily to try my best to manage and take care of myself. 
So you were, you know, feeling sick, then also growing. And when you're growing, I, I don't know about you, but that's a massive adjustment just to have your body change and then to have your body rapidly. How was that for you? You know, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've dealt with eating disorder in the past, but I didn't, I was nervous about that. I think before I got pregnant, like, is this going to be hard on me? But I think going through fertility and like my mindset of being so grateful to be pregnant, that helped me to not be so concerned with the weight gain and the growing. Plus also, I think it being three, it was kind of like everything's out the everything I thought like I'm going to be this cute little pregnant person with a tiny belly, all that stuff just went out the window. And so that wasn't as hard on me as I was afraid it would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. That I makes think sense. I struggled with that more with my daughter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So for this one, it was just a matter of um, growing quickly, but also knowing that um, this is a unique experience and yes. I'm yes. flexible and go with it. Yeah. It was kind of like survival mode. You know, you're just like, okay, Everything you thought, everything you planned for, every, you know, it's all out the window, you know. Now, you, uh, you've you already mentioned, and I know that you have a big um, family and a very connected family. And yes. so I'm wondering, as you're moving through the pregnancy, and then this is just foreshadowing also for the postpartum part, how was the support like with your whole crew? Oh, everybody's thrilled, you know, excited. I think my... We actually, my family, the day we got the older son, my family happened to be in town for an event. And so, again, you know, I know most people don't tell till 12 weeks. And I, I was naive to like the stuff with triplets. So I told my family, obviously, I'm not putting it on Facebook or Instagram, but told my family. And it was kind of like, okay, let's keep it in the family. My dad was so excited. I think he told his, all his secretaries and anybody that he talked to that day. That <laughs> um, so was actually quite funny. Um, I remember Molly, it was something, my sister, one of my sisters, a film producer, and we were out of thing for her um, film. She had a little premiere in Nashville and the author, Emily Giffen was there and she has twins. And so my dad, it was like, she's having triplets. And I was like, dad, you're not supposed to tell anybody. And she, I mean, obviously she was super nice. And she's like, any questions you have? It's just was funny. Cause we were like, you know, I think everybody was just so excited in the history of the failed IVF and my family is big. So we love babies and think everybody was just excited. Nobody, everybody's kind of naive to like high risk and all that stuff, you know? Sure. So lots of support and same thing for Matt's family. You know, they were thrilled first grandbabies, um, for his dad and stepmother. And then, um, he's got a smaller family. So even on his mom's side, not, um, I think there were four grandbabies. So we were kind of double in essence, doubling that. Yeah. So I love the way everybody's so excited. Your dad can't keep the secret. No, he was telling everybody. He told everybody <laughs> the, the first day. Um, I was like six weeks, two days. I think if I can remember correctly. So. Big news, everybody. It was yeah. big news and it is big news and it is a lot. And I can imagine keeping it um, under, under wraps would be hard. Um, so you're now moving into what sounds like about halfway through the pregnancy around 2021. Mm -hmm. Pregnant. Yes. And it sounds like this is when some of the complications you've talked about really. Yes. Start. So at 21 weeks, my doctor was out of town. So I saw a nurse practitioner and everything looked good. Good. Why don't we push it back to every two weeks? And I agreed. And this is where, you know, looking back, I had this kind of gut feeling to say in myself that I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And I was checking out at the checkout desk, making my next appointment. And she's like, okay, two weeks. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish I was coming next week. But then I like, I didn't want to be the difficult patient. I didn't want to act crazy. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. Long story short, I go in on that Monday. So it's been two weeks. I saw, see an ultrasound tech. So I have to like explain the lay of the land. I'm like, okay, here's baby A. He's fraternal. He's in his own sack by himself. He's. And then I'll be like, baby bees, because the twins were kind of transverse. And so I'll be like, baby bees down here. He's bigger. Baby C's up here. He's smaller. Then she kind of got quieter. And so I started thinking, I don't know. Something seems wrong, mm -hmm. you know. And anybody's ever been in ultrasound when something's wrong, it gets real quiet really fast. And she finished up the measurements and she said, I'm going to go get the doctor. I'll be right back. And it wasn't abnormal because the doctor always came in at the end, but I just said to my husband, I was like, I think something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so my doctor comes in and she's like, okay, she's, I love my doctor. She was very calm. She just said, y'all have 
twin to twin transfusion stage four, it's bad. You need to get to Cincinnati as quickly as you can. So here you are in a place where you were wishing you could have more frequent ultrasounds and having kind of this gut instinct that that would have been nice and that something wasn't feeling exactly right. Then you have the ultrasound where we know that you learned that you are now dealing with twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Tell us about that. So when you have twin to twin transfusion is a disease of the placenta. It is when with identical twins, and I believe it only happens in identical twins that share a membrane, like a sac that have a membrane. Basically, the placenta starts to malfunction. So one twin is getting all of the blood, all of the nutrients, everything, and all the fluid. And one twin has, I can send you a graphic too, one twin has gotten nothing, mm-hmm. like no fluids, nothing. So our baby C, that's called the donor twin that has nothing, was kind of for lack of a better term, they say saran wrapped, like he had nothing, no fluid, no visible bladder. He was just kind of stuck in there. And then our baby B, which is why he was measuring bigger, had high drops, like his whole body was swollen with edema. He was in congestive heart failure Mm. and was getting pumped with too much for his body to handle, if that makes sense. So in twin to twin, it can go from stage one to five, which stage five is in, is, um, fetal demise, like the baby dies in utero or both really. Cause typically if in identical twins, if one of them passes away, the chances of the other one and with twin to twin, if there hasn't been an intervention, the chances are very high that the other one will as well. Mm-hmm. So we were stage four, which is the worst it can get. But with us, the only option was surgery. So of course I just start crying hysterically. Mm-hmm. My husband kind of goes into robot mode and starts getting on the phone uh, just weirdly enough, my mom happened to be in town visiting with my niece and nephew and his mom and stepdad were in town visiting mm-hmm. too. So that was a blessing. Um, so my husband gets on the phone. We're very blessed that we had access to a plane to get us there. So now you are aware that you have to have a surgery. It's serious. You have access to this plane that's taking you to the hospital. And now what? Okay, so we get to the hospital at five o'clock in the afternoon. We went straight to Good Samaritan Hospital in Cincinnati. Um, That's where their maternal fetal medicine people are. We went straight into an ultrasound. When I tell this story, I kind of take all the emotion out of it. And it's almost like I'm telling someone else's story at this point because I've told it so many times. And it's hard to get through if I actually really let the emotions get to me because it is obviously very traumatic and scary and sad. Um, so she, we got, went to this ultrasound and like I said, baby now see Jackson is who it was, is kind of was just kind of wiggling around, but had no fluid and no visible bladder. And then our baby B Parker, um, he was the one that was in really bad shape and it was very hard to see that because he was kind of just floating very listless, swollen, you know, it was very, it's was a hard, hard thing to see that he was dying in front of our face really. Um, and, um, so they did this ultrasound and we, I don't, it seemed like forever. I don't know how long we actually were in there and they were debating if we should do the surgery that night. Ultimately, they, there was a medicine called Procardia that they put me on that they have found, I think, strengthens the baby's hearts. So they wanted me to take a dose that night and a dose the next morning. So they sent us to the, uh, we were saying it obviously had gotten a hotel, um, sent us back to the hotel and, you know, doctors not, I mean, they were pat- compassionate, but they basically said, come back at five o'clock tomorrow morning. If they're both still alive, we will do the surgery. Mm. So needless to say, did not sleep. Yeah. Um, what a horrible night. Yes. Um, very difficult. We go in the next morning and thankfully they're still there. And, um, so they start prepping us for the surgery and probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life really is this neonatologist comes in and he, he sits us down and he's like, okay, you know, the surgery obviously comes with risks. What do you want us to do if 
we start to lose one or both of the twins. Do you want us to deliver all three of the babies? And, and at this point, you have to ask them to resuscitate because it, I think once you're past 24 weeks, they will automatically do that kind of stuff. But if you're pre-viability, it's like, would you want us, if we start losing one or both, do you want us to deliver all of them? Because you obviously can't deliver one or two and keep the others in. Right. Um, he's like, do you want us to deliver them all and try to resuscitate them? And he's, you're, you've got a perfectly healthy baby over here that is not connected to any of this. And 23 weeks, even if they do survive, you know, there's a low chance that all three of them would make it. And then there's, you know, they have to tell you all the risk factors. You're, they're high risk for lots of long-term life complications and this and that, which is not, I mean, obviously there are miracle babies out there born at 22 and 23 and 24 weeks, but statistically speaking, you know, you're putting in these, you know, you're putting them all at risk for a lot of, for first and foremost, not to make it. And secondly, for a lot of complications, and he's like, or do you want to let us let one or both of them pass in utero to keep this other baby over here healthy and growing? And then you're put forced with this decision making. Yes. And so and then it's also like, and what do you want to do if something starts happening to you your, and to you know, your wife? And so I just went hysterical, like started crying hysterically and like could not even focus like on to give them an answer. Yeah. So they, in a weird way, it's a blessing. I'm the one getting surgery. So they were able to give me some medicine and kind of lack of a better term, calm me down, knock me out. I don't remember the rest of it. The next thing I remember is I woke up mid surgery and they gave me some more medicine to, they don't completely knock you out. You're not on general anesthesia, but I don't, it probably was lack of sleep and whatever they gave me just kind of knocked me out. Maybe I was awake for a little bit. If I was, I don't remember it. Um, And I've asked my husband about it. And he said, he's kind of, he just said it, he blocked it out too. He doesn't remember even what he actually told them, except for saying, obviously save me if you have to. But he said when it, he doesn't remember it really either, which probably, you know, your mind can block things out that are extremely traumatic. So like I said, they gave me some medicine to calm me down. And this surgery, what they do is they go in. So I had to be transported by, sorry, by an ambulance from, Good Samaritan over to the children's hospital. Um, that's where they do the surgery um, in Cincinnati. And it was a brilliant surgeon, Dr. Lim. He was a surgeon over there. And then my MFM in charge of my case was Dr. Hobley, who was amazing too. So they did the surgery. Um, what they do is they go in laparoscopically and they laser off all of the connecting blood vessels between the two babies in the placenta there's probably more medical, more, a a better way to phrase that medically, but that's my understanding. They laser off all the connecting blood vessels. And the hope is that when they do that, the fluids will then balance out and, you know, go back to normal. Um, I think in most cases, I don't know the statistics for stage one to four, but I think typically speaking, when you do the surgery, it's a 60% double survival rate. In our case, it was a 10% chance. Um, They did not think baby B was going to make it through the surgery. They were really, they didn't tell us this obviously till after, but they were really just hopeful to get the surgery done to at least to save baby C. Because if baby B had passed before they did the surgery, then everything that he was being overloaded would have then just bounced back to baby C. Again, this is not very medically, you know, but that's my understanding. It would have all bounced back to him and been fatal for him too. So um, they were, they didn't obviously tell us that at the time, you know, we knew that the chances were not good for both of them to make it. But my doctor later told me that it was like a less than 10% chance. And they really did not think our baby B was going to make it. That's so terrifying to hear those statistics and the doctor's concerns. And then it sounds like at this point, after surgery, it's a waiting game for 24 hours to see how the babies are doing. After 24 hours, they were obviously still doing well. Anytime you travel for the surgery, they basically would keep you there for a week. So then you wait, you have to wait a week and there's really nothing you can do. You're literally just waiting to see if things are improving, if the baby's are recovering if there still are two, in our case, three heartbeats when you go back in a week. And so that's just very 
obviously anxiety ridden, you know, trying to take your mind off it. There's nothing you can do. I mean, I remember, I think I even made my husband call and say, can we come in for an ultrasound at like three days after, because I wasn't feeling much. And they're like, no, there's nothing we can do. You just have to wait. That is so hard to just sit and wait and tolerate that uncertainty. It's horrible. And, you know, I did feel a move a little bit. There was um, two songs. They'd play that, those songs and they would move. But again, your mind starts to play tricks on you. And I'd be like, is that one of them? Is it both of them? This and that. So, we, you know, we go in after a week and thankfully, you know, they're both doing well. They were hoping that we could stay, keep them in for like six weeks. Six to 10 would be ideal. Mm-hmm. They said six, if we could just get six, that would be great. We just didn't know because your uterus has now been compromised by having, you know, laparoscopic surgery. Plus I'm carrying triplets. So we were always prepared for an early delivery. I think 33 weeks is average for triplets. I was 23 weeks at the time um, of the surgery. So at this point I'm 24. So they were just saying, you know, if we hope we can keep them in another you know, six weeks would be great. We knew if you if they were born anytime soon, our baby B Parker would need a heart surgery. So we decided, and we were blessed to be able to stay in Cincinnati. Um, I was obviously put on bed rest, um, but we wanted to stay there because we wanted Dr. Lim to do the surgery if he needed a heart surgery. Okay. So we stayed in Cincinnati. Um, we did a, uh, We also did an MRI, which, and during in this MRI, um, once we came out we were told that our baby B who was the recipient baby had suffered a brain bleed during the twin to twin, probably from all the stress and pressure. I mean, I guess it's essentially like a stroke in utero almost. That's another, you know, obviously very traumatic, stressful thing. And they couldn't tell us there's nothing you can do like, you know, cause he's in utero, you know, after birth, sometimes there's interventions that can be done. In our case, it was just like a wait and see, every ultrasound they measured in the ventricles. So I was able to know as long as it wasn't getting, the ventricle wasn't getting bigger, that the bleed wasn't getting worse, Mm -hmm. but I did not know if it was getting better or if what else was happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another, you know, thing, you know, you're every ultrasound I'm sitting there, you know, waiting up to obviously to make sure there's three heartbeats. Then I'm waiting to see what's, what's this measurement on this ventricle. Is it getting worse? You know, and you're kind of helpless. There's nothing you can do. So helplessness, more uncertainty. I know you end up in bed rest at this point. So tell us a little bit about bed rest. I like to joke and be like, it wasn't that bad because we were in an extended stay. So I could get like room service and I watched Breaking Bad. And now we did go back and forth to the hospital. I was on strict bed rest, so I could not do anything but take like go walk to the bathroom. So my husband, poor husband, he had to go get a wheelchair, wheel me through the hotel, down to the garage, pull the car up, put me in it, take me to the hospital, pull up to the curb, get me a wheelchair. Then I'd have to sit in a wheelchair while you park the car. Then you'd have to wheel me in. And I had to do iron infusions. You know, we did BPP, stress tests, ultrasounds, all kinds of stuff, you know, blood work. So I was probably went twice a day to the hospital. So some perks of bed rest sound like Breaking Bad and room service, but a lot of other really hard things in the day-to-day. At 27 weeks, I woke up one day and I had was getting just pounding, horrible headache and nauseous and felt horrible. And I was crying. And I'm not a crier. I mean, you know this, like anybody who knows me, I don't cry a lot. So I was crying off and on all day. So finally, my husband's like, because, you know, at first, like, I don't want to be a difficult patient, you know, all that stuff that goes through your head. And then he's like, you know what, F this, I'm calling, this is not right. You don't cry, you feel terrible. So he called and they said, you know, bring her in to labor delivery. Let's get her checked out. I get in there. I'm in preterm labor. I also have preeclampsia. So they put me on the mag drip, which is, did you, anybody who's done that will tell you it's absolutely horrible. The first I think the first hour, it's just like your whole body's on, they push you with magnesium. So you're, you just feel like you're burning from the inside. And I was already hot because I had three babies, yeah. like so hot. This is Cincinnati in the middle of a snowstorm. And I had the air conditioning on and the windows open and that I was already hot. So then, you know, you get the magnesium and I, you feel like you're burning from the inside. And we actually have a picture now where I have like a rag over my head and my husband took it. We joke about it now because I just look absolutely miserable. And shortly after that picture, I projectile vomited all over 
the nurse like literally in her face and then I cried because I was embarrassed and felt oh this sounds horrible <laughs> so um they uh, the they were able to slow down the I didn't even know I was having contractions because I had three babies and there's there's always a lot of stuff going on so uh, they kept me 24 hours in the post I mean in the labor delivery on the magnesium and then after that I was admitted to the hospital they weren't going to let me leave so I was put into the I went to the antepartum unit at, and it's at Good Samaritan. It is a teaching hospital. So there were a lot of people in and out of my room all day, every day. Actually, it was a double bed room, but because I had three, I needed all the equipment. So I did get my own room. So my husband would, this is, you know, this is when it got really hard for my husband because he is now going back in the city we don't live in alone most nights, wondering, you know, is my wife okay? Are my babies okay? And I'm in the hospital, you know, um, he slept there a couple nights, but you know, it's not very comfortable. So that was very hard on him. And then I'm in the hospital. It's a teaching hospital. So there's people coming in and out 24 hours a day, you know, blood work had to do these monitor tests and they would strap you up. I'm huge by the way, like huge. And they're strapping three straps on you plus a contraction monitor to track their heartbeats. And because it was a teaching hospital, they wanted all three of the babies on there for 20 minutes straight without falling off. So as you can imagine, one of them moves, they fall off. So the 20 minute ticker would start over. This is twice a day, every day. So I'd be on that, like strapped up laying on my side for like two hours sometimes. And very uncomfortable. You you know, I liked like a strap stuffed pig or something because it was they had to pull them so tight and I'm huge. Um, I think all in all, I gained over a hundred pounds by the end of the pregnancy. So that's obviously not fun. We were miserable, but obviously you're doing what you gotta do to get these babies here safely. Um two or three times they um one of them would fall off for so long that they would almost call it code. And all these people come running in, they'd shove an IV in me, put a mask on me and start prepping me for a delivery. And they'd run in with an ultrasound machine. And I wouldn't even have time to like text my husband or call anybody. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to deliver these babies alone? I don't know. You know, that happened. And one time my husband like walked in in the middle of that and was like, obviously scared crapless. Like what is going on? This is so traumatic for everyone. It was. So they end up, you know, then they bring, when they're doing that, they're prepping you, but they also bring an ultrasound machine in there and they would, ultimately they found whichever one, I think it was usually Smith, my little troublemaker. Um, they would find him and then be like, okay, called off. Everything's fine. So there's a lot of trauma, a lot of stuff. So we got to 30 weeks, we did an echo and his heart wasn't hundred percent healed, but it was healed enough that we sat down with the doctors and they were like, there's nothing that we could do here that they couldn't do in Nashville for you. Cause I lived in Nashville at the time. So when that, they gave us that, we, we decided let's transfer back to Nashville. We had access to a plane that we actually became a medical flight because it had to be at a certain altitude and door to door. I was from one hospital to the other in like an hour and a half or something. Mm -hmm. um, so we went to Nashville, got admitted there around 32 weeks and I guess three days, I started leaking fluid. One of their waters broke. And so we spent about two days. We were hoping to get to like 34 weeks, mm -hmm. spent about two days, kind of wasn't a lot. And, you know, so two days kind of in limbo, like, can we keep them in longer? How much longer at 32 weeks and five, it was a Friday. Um, I remember very clearly because my mom had gone to Florida with my brother who lived in Nashville at the time and his family, my sister who lived in Nashville at the time, was their spring break. My dad called me the day before um, and said, I'm going to Brussels for four days for work. Don't have these babies while I'm gone. And I'm like, I'm definitely going to have these babies. While oh, no. So it's a Friday. Um, I remember like they, you know, you're in the hospital, they bring your food in at like 6am, you know, and I'm starving. But when I stood up, like there was a huge gush of um, water. So I, you know, call the nurse. She comes in and she's like, okay, let me call the doctor. Don't eat your food yet. We may be, we don't know what's going on. So this was like an hour, two hour process with the on call doctor who 
I don't even remember. I had to like sit on a pad and they had to like check the fluids and all this kind of stuff. It's very humbling, you know, here in the hospital being poked and prodded and no privacy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so after like two hours, they're like, okay, I think you're good. We're going to, you know, wait. I don't think you're going to have them today. So I'm like, okay, can I eat my food? I'm starving. And they said, yes. Literally probably 30 minutes after I ate my doctor, my main doctor, it was all, you know, they had did rotations with the practice. There was five of them, but my main doctor was not in that day. So I guess she had been talking and then um, she calls me and she's like, okay, we're going to have these babies today. And I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I just told my husband we weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and she's like, did you eat? And I said, yes. And she's like, okay, we're going to have them at two 30 this afternoon. Um, so I'm like, okay. Um, so I call my husband. I'm like, you're going to be a dad today. And he's like, you know, lots of expletives and <laughs> shock and okay, let me get home and get whatever. And I'll be back there. And then it's just kind of, you know, we, we had decided to bank their cord blood too. And I had ordered the kits. The kits were literally be- being delivered that day. Like I had just ordered, cause I thought I was going to deliver. We had a date scheduled for March 30th and this was March 20th. So I had ordered the, so they were literally being del- delivered that day. My brother-in-law had to go intercept them from a FedEx driver. We had to pull little strings with that one and bring them to the hospital. Like, so we had them, like, it was just, it was almost comical. Um, my in-laws were driving from East Tennessee to Atlanta and they were right at the split. Cause if, um, there's a split where you can either go towards Knoxville, Nashville, or you go towards Atlanta. And she had just texted me like, do you need anything? And I was like, you probably want to turn around. And so they had to turn around. My mom was able to get up there from fly up from Florida. My dad obviously was in Brussels, so he couldn't do anything. So we go in to the C-section, you know, at this point. I can just I don't pause, think- pause you there for a minute because I'm <laughs> imagining the whole family. It was just like kind of <laughs> crazy. A whole large family just doing all these things to get to you. Um, yes. I, I feel like that in it, it's, it that visual is great. Um, just- yes, it, it was. It was actually really crazy. And it was just, you know, at that point, it's like I was nervous, but it was almost like because, you know, you have spent 10 weeks literally ultrasound to ultrasound, you know, worrying if there's going to be heartbeats and wondering about this brain ventricle and, you know, the heart and all this stuff. It was almost like a relief that, OK, they're going to be on the outside and I can see them and I can know if something's wrong versus just kind of waiting on, you know, for every, however many hours to get a check or, you know, waiting, you know, nobody wants to have their babies earlier, have them in the NICU, but it's at the same time when you've been through that much, it was almost like a relief, like, okay, now they're going to be here. I'm going to be able to hold them and touch them. And I don't know, in your mind, protect them, you know? So this is wild. You've got so much going on. The visual, like I said, is intense. I've got family scrambling to get to you. The FedEx uh, folks being intercepted for your blood cord banking. And then the babies are ready to come. So my husband obviously was very nervous. Um, I was very calm. Uh, We go in for the C-section. Uh, now having a second child, well, second birth, sorry, not child, but a second pregnancy and seeing what a quote unquote normal delivery, this was crazy. You know, there was 18 plus people in there, incubators, you know, there's nurses for the baby, nurses for me, anesthesiologists, because obviously I had a C-section. It wasn't even, you know, I think at one point very early in the pregnancy, there was a, if everything lines up, if they're all head down, if you make it to 35 weeks, you can try that all went out the window with the um, twin to twin. And it wasn't, I didn't even care. I was just like, I just want him here. I want him healthy. I want, so I think there was 18 plus people, including my husband. He has like a panoramic picture and it's just chaos. Oh my gosh. Um, I see that picture. And he, so he, so they, we actually, he actually had the wherewithal cause he was white as a ghost. And like, I thought he was going to pass out, but he did film the very first baby being delivered. Like not, you know, he goes over the curtain when the baby, when it's Jackson, but so then it gets, so they're delivering and our baby A was the fraternal one. Cause he was breached. We always thought he would come first. Well, Jackson very much to his personality, I guess, wiggled down lower. So he became baby A. He came out first, which is comical. Cause then with the cord blood, it got real confusing. Cause I had labeled ABC and then they 
reverse ordered at birth. Jackson yeah. became baby A, Smith became baby C. Parker was always B because once the first identical came out, they had to get the second one out. So they were born 240, 241, 242. Um, and they all did well in their APGAR, all that kind of stuff. Um, went straight to the NICU. I didn't even really get to see them. I mean, I got like a little kiss on the head. You know, I didn't, I see some of these triplet moms and they have the picture in this with all three, but I didn't get to do that. They just took them straight. Um, so I saw them briefly and then my husband followed them to the NICU. I stayed in the delivery, obviously, until they took me, you know, finished up whatever and took me to the recovery. And I got, to, and then I got to go see them like around, they were born at two. I went, I got to go to the NICU at eight o'clock and they wheeled me in there on the bed. And then, you know, with C-section, they give you, they gave me pain medicine. And I just was like, I got to get out. You got to take me out. You got to take me out. And then as soon as I got out of the NICU, I just started, pu- I just puked. everywhere. <laughs> oh, my. So that was eventful. Um, <laughs> but quite an eventful experience. It was, it was. But then, uh, you know, a lot of people, I know the NICU is very traumatizing for a lot of people and it was not necessarily ideal. I and mean, nobody wants to have their baby in the NICU. Nobody wants to leave their baby and go home without them, which, but I kind of say like, we got all the bad stuff and the trauma out of the way in the pregnancy because our NICU experience was quite pretty calm. They were just basically considered feeders and growers. They did a head ultrasound. The bleed had healed completely. They did an um, echo on his heart and his heart was completely healed. Um, I'll get to that more later, but um, I did not get to see those. So that was kind of like, a lot of questions like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like that's where, you know, your trauma kind of comes out and I'd be up there doing skin to skin, you know, they were real excited for me to do all three of them at once because they had never had that in there. So I have a really beautiful picture of me holding all three of them. But really at that point I had talked to some other triplet moms through Facebook and stuff. And I was kind of prepared for four to six weeks NICU because of their gestation. We got out 14, 16, 18 days. So then you start this whole other whirlwind of, you know, going from zero babies to three, your postpartum, you are, I've just gone through an incredibly traumatic experience on your side, also on your husband. And then, you know, obviously going through fertility and then this pregnancy. And then, you know, you went from this just little newlywed couple to like, now we have three babies, you know? Yeah. It got real. It was you know, and we, you know, we came home on a NICU schedule. So we followed that. And then, you know, I had family and friends coming constantly to help out. And then I did have professional help too. But I think that's where like the postpartum now I know, but you know, I had PTSD and postpartum anxiety. I did not really realize it at the time. You know, you're so you're just in a fog and you have three babies and, you know, it takes a while to, you know, really realized that I didn't have the only thing I really knew about was the postpartum depression and I did not have that. So I wasn't aware. Oh, you can have, I didn't even know that postpartum anxiety was a thing. Right. No. Um, and you know, you go in for your six week checkup and you're kind of done now. And then the babies, you know, like I said, my one son with the brain bleed, I was hyper-focused on him to make sure he's meeting milestones and all this stuff and not even really thinking about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and I think you're bringing up really good points because uh, I, I think when it, the the most commonly referred to challenge is postpartum depression, and that's one of the reasons I really advocate for people to use that perinatal mood and anxiety disorder term. Yeah. It encompasses some of these challenges that are actually do happen, and yeah. um, and then I think you bring up another good point in that y- here you are taking care of all these, all these children, but also you factoring in your family and your husband and all the people who are supporting you. And I imagine that you were probably last place in terms of taking care of yourself. But like you said, I think I put myself on the back burner and, you know, even my my, same for my husband, I think, you know, to some degree we both, you know, I, like I said, I did not know, even though postpartum anxiety was a thing looking back, I can see it very clearly in PTSD. I only knew about that from like a war, you know, Mm -hmm. or vet. I didn't know you can get it from a pregnancy, you know? So, um, I think we both kind of had some unhealthy coping mechanisms. I definitely went back, kind of reverted back to not eating disorder, but definitely over exercising was kind of, cause I gained a hundred pounds and it was like, 
that was that's where I was able to take my mind off of everything for that, you know, was just by over exercising. So, you know, that was kind of my thing. Um and then I remember like I there's a couple of times like I went to Target for something and like I would be walking through Target and then I would just completely forget why I even was there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I was struggling, but you just chalk it off to, oh, you have three babies, you know, you're you have three six week old babies and you're pumping every three hours and on a schedule of feed change, sleep, burp, sleep every three hours. So that's just normal. That's just what it's like. You know, we ended up moving back home, back to Memphis um, to be closer to family when they were about nine months old. I think for me, it was a sense of relief. I think for my husband, it was hard and more isolating because he's from East Tennessee. He has no family in Memphis. He's watching his wife struggle but he's struggling. I think a lot of times the toll it takes on a man is very much discounted. The statistics are there that are one in 10 dads experience challenges. And that's, yeah. it probably rises when you have all these other risk factors. I did go see a doctor, I think when they were about nine, 10 months for a couple sessions. And he's, he's the one who told me you have diagnosed with PTSD, postpartum anxiety, um, did some therapy I just, I think I was so still focused on the kids and, you know, I wasn't, I think it was helpful, but I wasn't in the healing space to really accept the help or put into the work. When the boys were 20 months, I found out I was pregnant with no fertility treatment. <laughs> so it was a positive a shocker. Turned out it was a little girl. So three boys, a girl, but overall it was very healing. And I had a full-term pregnancy. I did have another C-section that she was 39 weeks. Um, so that in, in a lot of ways, that was very healing, you know, but then you're also now bringing home a fourth baby. Yeah, I've got four kids under three years old. Oh, my God. So it was a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it sounds like for you, um, some of the things that worked in all of this um, were kind of your supports. Yes, uh, for sure. What else would you kind of point? Well, I think um, in retrospect, so I did end up when um i think they were boys were probably four and my daughter would have been two i ended up finding a um therapist who's in memphis that specialized in there's not a lot of them out there as you know that specialized in infertility traumatic pregnancy postpartum all that stuff so i saw her for about two years and i think that was very very helpful like i wish i had done that sooner um, I didn't, I don't think I even knew that was out there though. Like I said, I just went to a tip your standard, um, therapist, psychiatrist when I was like 10, you know, when they were like nine to 10 months and it just didn't click with me. This clicked with me and it was yeah. focused on what I needed. Yeah. So I, you know, I wish I had found that sooner because I do think, um, I don't want to say I have regrets, but I think, you know, like I said, when I was talking about the fog, I was in like, I don't, there's, you know, I remember a lot of stuff very clearly, but I feel like sometimes I just wasn't present. I was just so much in the, like, just going through the motions, get through. And it is very military-esque when you have three babies anyways, you know, the schedule and all this stuff. And I, I wish I had gone sooner to be more present and then to heal, you know, and obviously all that stuff takes a toll on your marriage too. It's very stressful. And as I mentioned, I think, you know, I think we both kind of found our own coping mechanisms that were not necessarily the most healthy and um, it's hard in general, just a new baby, not to mention three. I think statistically speaking, it's, you know, a lot of marriages when with multiples end up in divorce. Um, so it does take a toll on your marriage. And so I wish I had um, known all of that and really um, just known that the help was out there for me. And also, you know, I, even for my husband to know, like, that what he was be more aware of what he was going through because I think so many people are focused on me. How are you? You've got three babies and how's, you know, baby B and this and that. And like, so there's things I've learned since like that I wish I had known now, but I, I think everybody has to take at the same time, you know, maybe I wasn't ready to get the help at nine months, 10 months postpartum. And when I found this lady at Fort when they were four and I was kind of out of all the postpartum and done with the baby stage, maybe that was the right time. But I didn't like, I didn't even know that postpartum anxiety was a thing, you know, 
Yeah. And it's also quite valuable, particularly when dealing with these specific challenges to find people who are well-versed and trained in yes. these challenges. Yes. So it's um, also sounds like it's um, something that with hindsight, it would have been nice to kind of have a bit of a, I don't know, you tell me if this felt, sounds right or not, but almost a bit of a plan on how to maybe stay connected um, with different supports or have a plan yes. taking care of yourself ahead of going through all of this. No, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, I saw, I think I saw you shared your chart the other day. Mm-hmm. And like, if you look at my story, I think I had like five of the risk factors and that was never really discussed, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about, Lainey, the risk factors, um, that checklist. Thank you you for so many of them. Traumatic. Um, but that was really not discussed, you know? So, um, I just don't think there was a lot of awareness out there. Definitely onto something with that awareness piece. And that's kind of part of my whole mission with this motherhood feel stuff is to raise awareness and help people to proactively cope as much as one can. And also to normalize the kind of prioritization of maternal mental health. Um, So I am really glad that you've been able to share your story. So before we wrap up, I want to test my knowledge and see how many of your siblings' names I can remember. You said canon. Mm -hmm. what Richard Arthur, mm-hmm. Sam or Samantha is her somebody? Yes, Rachel. Yes, Molly. Mm-hmm. Who am I missing? Am I missing somebody? Yes, my oldest sister, older sister, Stacy. Which I don't know if you ever met any of them. Um, Laurie, Stacy, and then Wendy, my oldest sister, um, passed away. Um, actually, eighteen years ago yesterday. Um, so, the, so there's ten of us total. And but I, you got seven. Yeah. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Um, well, thank you for walking through all of this. It's <laughs> yes, a lot. Can't even imagine going through it all. Yeah. Well, here we are. We came out the other side. I'm so glad it all worked out really well. So thanks for being here.